Am I directing a train wreck? And where's my tea? Okay, so let me just pull up the, the trailer for the, the movies to end all movies, which is Camila Cabello's Cinderella. Um, so, so yeah, hey everyone. Um, <laughs> Hello, everyone. There's only one person, Pedro. <laughs> hey, one person. Um, <laughs> hey, you, one. Hey, you. Hey, you. Yes, you. Yes. You... For the start of this week's episode, you are about to listen to us live react to the Camila Cabello Cinderella movie trailer. Hell yeah. This will be my first reaction to this yeah, trailer. It will be your first reaction. I watched it this morning. Um, yeah, <laughs> I watched it. That's all I can say. That is not... You'll see. You'll see. Okay. Three. Two. One. one. Go. go. Oh God. <laughs> oh. See, she looks the part, but like the vibes are bad. Also, I hate jukebox ju musicals that are just like you know not, you know, are not like um, Rock of Ages where they like pay tribute to a given moment in music. No, it's just like we were too lazy to write our own songs, so we're just gonna. Like, pick random songs from the radio for this musical. Is that what they're doing? Okay, I, I, I'm kind of deciding if Aydina Menzel was serving there or not. I will... The jury's still out. Oh, hey, Pierce Brosnan. He is definitely serving here. Oh, my God. Those dresses are so hideous. Like, Cinderella, please. Have talent what? for once. Like, who is this movie for? Like, what's the point? I mean, I'm probably... I mean, this movie is, like, for us, because we watch shit like that. So, like, don't pretend you don't know who the target audience here is. I mean, okay, to be fair, like, we... Our first episode is entirely dedicated to the Cinderella story movies. Like, we need... Ins Why is she wearing a... Okay, sure. Go, girl. Also, Billy Porter as a godparent. Yes, please. That's that's a good casting decision. Oh, James no, fucking James Corden. Corden. Oh, God. This is, oh, this is really bad. This is just, um, no. You know that, like, Cinderella we watched with the colorblind casting and Whitney Houston and, oh, I don't remember the, the main girl's name. Is it Birdie? No. Oh, that movie was amazing. Yeah, yeah amazing that movie was amazing. Design, this movie is the like, opposite casting. of that movie. Oh, oh, not Camila Cabello's voice. Oof. She has dreams that she has to chase. Oh god, this sucks. Not this. This just like, I, and then like the Cinderella story movies, this just looks utterly joyless. This is giving me bad Disney Channel movie vibes. Not even that. Like this is. It feels like this feels like an ad. Do you know when ads do like parodies of movies? 
this feels like yeah. a, an ad for like a certain company like i don't know this was like an ad for like i don't know papa john's and it's like they're doing uh cinderella and all of a sudden like camila cabello is gonna th- like whip out like a box of papa john's pizza uh at the last minute to like signify that this is an ad that's very but, true like, that's very like the whole trailer had like, you're exactly right it has a very like super bowl ad vibe to it like it yeah, has feels, some it artistic thing going for it but like it's essentially capitalism and commercialism so it feels so fake and like in not a cool way because like you watch films that are like very plasticky i feel like for example mean girls like you know the like girls i mean you know what i mean like that use fakeness as an artistic endeavor or as an aesthetic yeah. choice no yeah of course but not not here fam not here but like we're gonna watch it <laughs> yeah we're gonna yeah i mean we we commit we have committed to the bit like too hard for us not to watch it and not to cover it so it's gonna happen i guess should we also like um because spoiler alert next episode is us reviewing if you can even call it that uh, the Liam Payne album should we also review the new Ca- Camila Cabello album is there a new Camila Cabello album I mean yeah the song that I kind of like the new single I think it's promoting her third album yeah third 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 yeah I okay like she oh god no I, at least Liam Payne's will be funny I'm I mean, we could do, I mean, that's a good, you know, because, like, one album may be a little too little for a full episode, so that may be a good, that may be good, but, um, rest assured, I'm looking forward to Liam Payne's album more than Camila Cabello, which feels really bad to say, but it's true. I think, like, Camila Cabello is just doing, I mean, there are a few songs of hers that I like, I like from, um... I think it's her second album. I really like Liar and um, uh, Cry For Me. I think those are pretty fun. And I also like, I think I'm less averse to her voice and her general vocal choices than you are. So like, I, I guess I can like, uh, yeah. enjoy yeah. her songs a bit more because of the that. Problem, the real problem with me is the vocal, the vocal choices like... I, I I think Havana's tolerable, but that's it's, I I haven't dig in, I have I haven't listened to a full album from Camila. Yeah, I mean, so, I fair. have this thing that like even if like with people that like I know that I probably won't like the album, like Ed Sheeran nowadays or Justin Bieber, I do like to at least give the album a try to have like a rounded opinion because like even Justin Bieber like can like has surprised me at points with songs that i actually liked so yes baby to, to 2010 version the 2010 a song featuring ludicrous that's the one good bieber song thank you <laughs> it yeah but also i really like um uh mark my words the opening of his uh the album that had like all his big sing uh, uh hits like sorry and what do you mean um, but yeah, no, like, he can, you know, he's not entirely talentless, and, like, if he finds a good producer that has a good idea how to, like, I guess, take advantage of the few talents that he has, like, he can produce a nice song, it's not, I don't think it's that hard to produ- produce, I know, like, a good song, like, an okay song, it's hard to produce a masterpiece, but, like, 
And every single song has to be a masterpiece, I don't, I don't think. And so yeah, with Camila Cabello, like, I, I don't love her vocals, but like, I don't mind them. I can listen to them and like, I can just focus on how a song is structured and everything that's going on there. Oh, sorry. Um, so yeah, I like a few songs of her, but I think like the problem with her is that um, she's just very generic. And, yeah, um, that's the thing. And she tries to do like more artistic things, but like she does them in a very generic way. And I know that like because she's um she's already I mean she she grew up in on, in Cuba and so you know she has dual citizenship I think, but like she grew up in Cuba. All her family is Cuban, and I feel like she's trying to incorporate that like Cuban Cuban music from the eighties in her sound, but like she's choosing. Again, the most like whitewashed version of the Cuban music, which I also find kind of distasteful because it's like clearly yeah. like catering to um, all the white clubs that are obsessed with like reggaeton and uh, uh-huh. trap based Latin music of the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, Cuba has like this amazing jazz culture and just like. Yeah. Though, and I can't believe I'm going to say this in Camila's. I guess defense. I mm. would not like to hear her in a jazz instrumental. Absolutely not. No. I mean, no. Like I'm just saying that, like there, there are more interesting ways to go about it, and like no, to incorporate course, yeah. those influences. And oh, another song that I like of hers is from her first album, and it's Real Friends. And I think that's a good example of how to like in- implement Latin influences in a like in whitewashed way says me a slavic person that obviously knows (laughs) no but like i feel like i know a bit because like i grew up watching to a lot like a lot of latin media because my grandma loves telenovelas and i would just watch it with her so i kind of anyway what i wanted to say is that like there the song just uh has this like classical spanish guitar um backdrop and i don't know it's really nice i like it I, that's not what worries me is not the fact if, if you are being culturally correct around about latin music it's that mm. you know so many camila cabello and justin bieber deep cuts like wow that's <laughs> impressive <laughs> i guess you know because like i have this thing that like if i read something like on my own from my own volition like if i just go on the rabbit hole about someone i like i usually remember it um yeah <laughs> <laughs> No, I think like the biggest Camila Cabello offense is that she's dating Sean Mendes. I, I, I like my popular opinion maybe is that I like Sean Mendes way more than Camila Cabello and Justin Bieber because I think he's funnier. I mean, like the problem I have with Sean Mendes. Oh God, we're not even trying to talk about the topic. Today. <laughs> <laughs> no, the problem I have with like Sean Mendes as to, for example, maybe not Justin Bieber. I kind of hate him, but like the problem I have. Like with Sean Mendes as opposed to Camila Cabello, is that like Camila at least tries to do something interesting, tries to like have this idea for each album and like a concept around it. And like she's trying to have maybe not artistic integrity, but like some artistic exploration with each album she does and puts out. And like I respect that a lot. While Sean Mendes' discography, for as far as I know, is just like essentially have the same album all the time it's just like he changes the lyrics a bit and that's it but like all of his discography similarly to Ed Sheeran now like if you exclude his first album like 
sonically and lyrically all of his albums are the same and that I really hate because like even if you have an artist that you don't like but like they are trying to do something they're trying to experiment and even if you don't like that experimentation I respect that because like it shows that like they care enough to actually try to create something worthwhile whereas I feel like Shawn Mendes just goes to the studio and is like okay I'm a dude with a guitar let me write another song you know like I, I, I don't think he has any artistic integrity or any artistic like emotionality that's not a word but like, let's ignore that um, I mean you know okay but not not to, as a counterpoint Mm-hmm. Can you imagine? I mean, you said artists. You mentioned artists trying to experiment with their sound and everything. Um, the thing with Sean Mendes is that I'm so glad that he hasn't gone full Joker, like unlike Ed Sheeran, because I mean that's a, an example of awful experimentation. I mean, my dude Ed, you <laughs> that one should have been in a draft. What the hell's going on there? <laughs> I mean, Ed Sheeran, re- I mean, I think the problem with Ed Sheeran is that, like, he started out somewhat strong. Like, his first album is very mixed, but there is some strong material there. And, like, his second album has a lot of, like, these very shallow pop songs, but it also has a few very, um, maybe not very good ones, but, like, I think they're interesting in some way or another. And, um, but then, like, I think that's like that's a general issue I have with male pop stars is that like they're not held to the same I guess standard that female pop artists are that they have to create this product that is nothing like they've whatever they've done before and essentially you know Justin Bieber or Sheeran or Shawn Mendes can continue to do the same thing over and over again and it will still sell and like you know I feel like Ed joker fight himself just because like he just felt bored i don't know um and like but like if he released and but like that song was still a big hit and like if he released another i don't know shape of you or i don't know tenerife oh no tenerife is a good song um thinking out loud like another song like that people would still buy it because like i don't know there's just something about like male pop artists that they just do not have to produce quality in order to succeed. That's very true. I mean, I feel I feel like the few exceptions in the game right now, maybe Harry Styles and like especially The Weeknd. The Weeknd's always reinventing himself in interesting ways. Yeah, but like The Weeknd, like for a very long time, he wasn't pop. You know, like he yeah, very without... true. He started out like uh, House of Balloons and stuff like that. Is just very very experiment experimental R and B, and he sort of morphed into this yeah. pop persona, and it felt organic. And Whereas I think, like, like those dudes are just just feel like you know just generic guys like a label <laughs> manager just decided exactly. to pick up and sell I guess yeah but also feel like with the weekend like be, I f- I don't think that like the weekend would become so big if trap didn't become so big you know like I think he just sort of he you know he was producing his own music and he he always had this, like this aesthetic edge to all of his projects and I think the only reason that he became big is the genre that he was I mean maybe not the entirety of his discography could be considered trap but like a lot of his like more popular songs were trappy and I think like Mm -hmm, if that genre and also like hip-hop in general didn't like blow up in the middle of 2000s 2010s 
then like he wouldn't be like a pop icon he is today. I don't think he was, you know, um, conscious in in that sense. Maybe, yeah. That's yeah. That's maybe a point. Yeah. Like, let's just like finish the pop before we even talk about Liam next week. And that, next oh week, yeah, fuck! I I forgot why we were talking about that. It's because of Liam. <laughs> <laughs> the bottom of it's the all, barrel. It all, <laughs> it all comes down to Liam. No, um, what do I want to say? No, but also like I have problem with a lot of because I feel like a lot of the like big pop icons. Um, male icons have like this huge chip on their shoulder that they're pop like I feel like especially Justin Bieber really wants to be an R&B singer and like he hates the fact that he's considered pop I mean he (laughs) no but like it's also like you know it's just uh, he's biting the head that well not the head he's biting the hand that feeds him and yet he has no material repercussions, you know? Like, imagine if Taylor Swift, like, just went, like, oh, actually, I hate pop. I feel like it's so generic or whatever. Like, consider me an R&B artist. Like, people would cancel her again. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, um, she kind of, I mean, she didn't have to, I mean, she completely, not completely, but she sort of shifted styles with Folklore and Evermore, but she never outright stated, I don't want to be seen as a pop star anymore. No, she just went and did her own thing without any, like, pretensions because she is not, I don't know, insecure about her self-image. Yeah, and also think, like, with Taylor, she was always very outspoken that, like, she tries to make the sonic, um, I guess, palette of her albums feel the mood and the, like, the feeling she's trying to, um, like, not project, but... um, what do I want to say? Yeah, like, I think feelings, project fits. Yeah, um, the feelings that she wants to project onto the album. So, like, I feel like, you know, the reason that she started um, experimenting with dubstep and, like, mixing genres in red was so she could um, tra- uh, transport this feeling of uneasiness and just, like, general anxiety and, like, highs and lows of that relationship. And then I feel like with 1989, because that album is a lot about like idealization and romanticization and but also like the realization that it's all vapid like the her choosing to do synth pop for that album is just very fitting as well if you know like yeah it, yeah yeah it, it just i what i've always loved about her as an artist is that like she matches the <laughs> the music to the aesthetic of each album and so like and and in that sense i think like what's tr- makes her a true artist in a way because like she you know she's not that concerned at at least I don't think she's that concerned right now about like what sells but like she's like okay what will make this album the most cohesive integral artistic expression I mean she's of course she's not worried about what sells like she recorded a bunch of songs with the national in Bon Iver like come on yeah I mean she (laughs) she recorded me (laughs) She's not worried about sales. Like, uh, but yeah, like, you know, we've established that male pop stars just don't really, they either don't try as hard or they try, or when they try, they fall on their faces and be embarrassing without suffering repercussions. And I feel like the protagonist of our main, our, our, our topic for today's episode is the same. And a fellow guitar boy himself, Archie, Archie Andrews. He's- He's like Ed Sheeran, but good looking. 
<laughs> I, I would say he's kind, he's kind of like the straighter Sean Mendes. Yeah, it's he's a mix between Ed Sheeran and Sean Mendes, I think, because he's like he has this very classic, good-looking look, you know, of Sean Mendes, but he has the gingerness and the inherent embarrassment of being Ed Sheeran. God, but yeah, today's episode is dedicated to Riverdale. I love Riverdale. Yeah. I'm so excited. <laughs> Twenty I... minutes in, this might be our latest. Like, do you know when like art hard house movies, like especially foreign hard house movies, art house movies, <laughs> only drop the title card like twenty minutes in? This is our version of that. No, I feel like uh, I know you haven't seen the Green Knight yet, but like what they do because like the poem has like is um, divided into parts, and so also the film is divided into parts, and like you have a title for each segment of the film, and so like the proper title of the film, which is The Green Knight, only uh, appears at the very, very end. So I feel like I heard- Oh, that's the good shit. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's how you know the film is good. No, but I also wanted to say that I'm a big fan of Death Cab for Cutie, and like they're known for having like these very long instrumental intros before they, you know, sing the, I mean, not they, before Ben sings the lyrics. And so I feel like these intros are a tribute to Defka for Cutie. We can call it that. We can call it we that. <laughs> anyway, hello, this is Shit Talking. I'm Marcy. Pedro here. <laughs> <laughs> you were supposed to follow the pattern, Pedro. What, what was the pattern? We, I I'm. Said, like... I oh, I am. <laughs> I guess hi, I guess I'm I mean you can say <laughs> Hi Marcy. Uh it's yeah, we're we're writing uh a an hi am sister AU and we're, <laughs> we're like hi am exclamation point Marcy and hi am Pedro. Uh, Why did I say my yes. name there with such an English anglicized, anglified, I don't know. No, accent. but also what the hell was that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm rubbing off on you, Pedro. I'm rubbing off on you. No, but yes, hello. Welcome to Shit Talking. Today, um, we're talking uh, about the the shit show of the moment that is Riverdale. This is a generation-defining television show that is touted as everything that we dedicate ourselves to. The cultural perception of this thing is that it's like, the trashiest guiltiest pleasure of them all and that's what we're here for so we had to cover it but also i'm here to explain you don't have to be guilty about liking it because this shit is good Riverdale was <laughs> good guys hot takes hot takes um so yeah since you're the um local riverdale expert why don't we start this episode by you explaining why you like the show so much okay <clears throat> <laughs> so as your as your uh, resident uh, Riverdale enthusiast, um, okay, obviously you know Riverdale based loosely based on the classic comic series uh, Archie, uh, based uh, you know um, the, Archie the comics, ginger yeah. cartoon, yeah, Archie comics, um, and the whole char- the characters surrounding it, you know Betty, Veronica, his friend Jughead, and all that. But this is an edgy, modern-day, dark version of those characters. It's all gritty. It's all very gothic. It's very mysterious. It's all about murders. Um, and I unabashedly love this show. 
I think uh, people always say that the first season is kind of decent and then it just goes absolutely off the rails. No, I'm the complete opposite. I feel like the first season was trying to um, fit the standards of what, or trying to fit the standards of what like a nor what people would expect from like a normal CW teen show with all the good looking cast. And like the ships and love triangles and all that. Um, but as the se- as the show progresses, as the seasons progress, I feel like the show morphs into something more. I feel like um, this is one of the most insane shows, purposefully insane shows that to ever air on television. And I think we should cherish it. And you know, the main criticism that Riverdale faces uh, nowadays and in general. It's always been like the dialogue is utterly ridiculous. Um, like, what are they even doing? The plots are insane. But like, do you really think that they don't know what they're doing? They absolutely do know what they're doing. And it's like, what I love about Riverdale is that it seems to me like it exists on this alternative alternative reality. Like, this, the, you know, this show hasn't delved too deep into fantasy stuff i mean little sprinkles of it um especially as it progresses but like like culturally this feels like an alternative reality entirely made up of cultural references and the way the show deals with those cultural references and like those like constantly on the nose is just almost a parody of almost half of how like i don't know like nostalgia culture works and how like you know franchises always like end up rehashing stuff and always based on sequels and like uh revamped and reboots i feel like this show with its endless source of cultural references i mean that go from like twin peaks to um stranger things or or like stuff like um like coming of age movies from the eighties, it all it all of it seems to exist in this like like outward space in, in in terms of like the rest of culture and the rest of television as something that reflects upon those cultural touchstones on such an uncanny and like and such an uncanny and like surreal way where the intent of the writers clearly isn't to make a show that like a a, a drama that is like supposed to be that's supposed to subscribe to what we considered like regular drama beat like um the regular dramatic beats i feel i feel like this what this show is doing is like this blend of dark humor and like constantly winking at the camera about like fandom references like like words like uh ship and end game are constantly referred to like with like the um, completely you know uh with a complete poker face like completely serious and i feel like this show has a more like i don't know a more like refined sense of humor and way of reflecting upon cultural american cultural heritage that like i feel is very fascinating and okay and that's my long rant of why I think Riverdale <laughs> is good. But also, in general, it's just so much fun. This show is insane. It's so much fun. Yeah, I'm, oh, I remember... I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when Riverdale was first um, coming out. And there was, you know, all this promo. 
And I was aware that in the comics, Jughead is asexual and aromantic. And from like the early interviews with Cole, he said that like he would love for the character to, you know, stay that way. So it was like, oh, ace representation. Nice. So like, I think I've watched the first three episodes of the first season and I just couldn't stand it because like it was badly written in the sense that like you had very cringy dialogue but they were trying to do something I guess sincere Mm -hmm. and I was and it was just so boring because of that because like I feel like you can do cringy dialogue when like you said you don't care about logic or like what like I guess more serious in that sense dramas how they are scripted and like the dramatic beats as you said like I think then because like from the episodes we watched we watched uh, a few episodes from the, the second the third and the fourth season so like yeah once the show kind of went off the rails like I didn't find the dialogue as um, I guess that's cringy because like everything that was around them was just so bizarre and out yeah. of reality the like exactly yeah it didn't feel weird to have this like very theatrical I guess language in that sense and very like um yeah it just it, it I mean it was fun like I, I did enjoy myself I, I think the first episode that we watched was the worst one the mm, the lodge lodge one yeah it was I understand. just because I do think that, like, they were, in that episode, they were still trying to, like, do a proper show, whatever that means. And it was just, oh, it, I don't know, it just, it wasn't enjoyable to watch. But, like, the musical episodes, or, like, the episodes where they kind of weren't afraid to just, like, produce very bizarre, weird shit, that I enjoy a lot. I mean, not a lot, but, like, I enjoyed myself. I didn't have a bad time. Like, I didn't... <laughs> I didn't enjoy it so much that, like, um, you know, um, actually watched the whole show and, like, every season of it. Because I don't think my brain is necessarily wired to watch that amount of shit happen all the time. <laughs> but, um, no, but, like, you know, the, I, I do think the later seasons are better. And also, like, I don't like, I mean... I do find the compilations of, like, shitty dialogue on the Riverdale funny. But, like, I also feel like people don't understand that, like, if you take out a lot of, like, classical plays, like, I don't know, Tennessee Williams or whatever, like, if you take a lot of their dialogue out of context or, like, you just have, like, snippets of, like, Marlon Brando, like, delivering those lines in, like, in a very theatrical way, those also are cringy because, like, theatre at least classical theatre, is not supposed to, like, really represent how people talk or mm-hmm. um, how we construct speech on the daily. It's supposed to, like, create something that resembles life, but it's not entirely of life. And therefore, we it's not so strange to have, like, people deliver all these monologues or be, like, overtly dramatic because that's, like, an element of the art form that everything is a little bit too much or too, you know, written, too written. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, no, definitely, yeah. But, yeah, you heard it from here uh, first, folks. Um, Riverdale <laughs> is like Tennessee Williams. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I totally get what you mean. Like, okay, 
I'm not gonna lie. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna sit here and pretend I don't laugh my ass off at watching those, um, like those dialogue compilations, those cringy lines from Riverdale, like bad writing, quote unquote, compilations of of Riverdale on YouTube. I think those fr- are funny as hell. But like, I also think, like I was saying, those are like very mean spirited and also don't really come from a place where I think people are trying to like engage with what the show is actually trying to do i mean i yeah. totally get if this is too much if this is like too i mean it's it's just too much because the show is too much like i totally understand this is too much for you and if you're not like you can handle like these ridiculous plots all the time i mean like, you know like you, i can but, handle yeah. it like on the basis that we watch it like i'm gonna watch a few episodes i'm gonna have opinion on my own but like i it's not I guess I'm just not the target audience in that sense. So, like, this is not the sort of media that, like, really moves me or really invites my intellectual, I guess, pondering on the themes that they present. But, like, no, like, um, there's this Polish show on Netflix called Sexify. And I actually enjoyed it. I've been meaning to watch it. I've been meaning to watch it, yeah. I would be down for a rewatch because it's just 10 episodes, so let me know. But, like, you know... Overall, I had, like, very positive experience watching it, but, like, there were, like, whole scenes with very cringy dialogue, and it's just, I think a lot of people that started the show were put off by that, but, like, at the same time, you know, a few scenes that have cringy dialogue are not representative of the whole show, and, um, you know, especially with, you know, filmmaking, you have the script and the dialogue, but like filmmaking is so much more than just what's written down. Like, I feel like because you have the visual effect, you have the sound design, you have the actors' performances, like, even if the script sucks or like sucks at certain points when it comes to dialogue, like, I don't think that erases the whole artistic, maybe not integrity, but the artistic value of a given film of a sh- or a show because yeah. like um what's the word cinematographic piece of art is so much more than just the dialogue if you want to focus on just the dialogue then read books because there exactly. you exactly. only have so words true. and and so like you know your judgment of how things are written and how things are presented i think are more representative of the whole work when it like it, when you focus on recent pieces of media because like you only have the words there and i feel like cinematographic pieces of writing you have to look at them more holistic just and not just focus on this one element you know no yeah i completely agree and like i mean just at some point you just just go read the screenplay and don't look at the movie like i can like off of that i can think of a movie I saw very recently and that I loved and that people's critiques towards it tend to skew towards how strange the dialogue is, which is old by M. Night Shyamalan. Mm. And like the main critiques that people have, you know, people usually don't like Shyamalan that much because of the plot twist, et cetera, et cetera, or whatever. You think he's ridiculous. Okay. But like the thing about what people have been saying about that movie is that the dialogue is just, it's like like they say of Riverdale. I mean, not to say that Riverdale has the cinematic qualities that Re- it does, but... <laughs> Riverdale-esque. Uh, <laughs> no, but uh, 
like people complain about the dialogue in the same way like this show this is way too kooky to take seriously because the dialogue is too cra- too cringy or whatever when the exact i think that's the exact point of something i call old I'm, i know you haven't seen it but i'm talking mm. very generally like the exact point of the dialogue in old is to create like a deliberately off-putting and just like confuse you at points uh, confuse the audience whereas Riverdale it's supposed it's 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 when in Riverdale it's not meant to confuse you like old or intrigue you in the same way it's clearly just a show made by people who are having so much fun and are so clearly like in their own universe when it comes to like inside jokes like you can tell that writing room is very animated because the plot lines appear the the lines they they write in on the show and like they they almost to me at least they almost invite me as the spectator to sort of be in on those jokes and like exp- like mm. be on the same wavelength that they are like yes i love the way these people talk they have nothing to do with how real teenagers or grown-ups talk <laughs> but i love the way they talk because it's just I get what they're trying to do, I guess. And I also feel like people think that camp is something that can only manifest itself visually. So, like, you know, um, fashion can be campy or, like, the way something is shot can be campy. But I don't think people understand that, like, camp can also be um, a stylistic choice when it comes to writing. That you can write dialogue that is campy. And, um, And I think Riverdale... Maybe not so much in the first season, but I think like in the second season when they just kind of went fuck it, we're just gonna make this mm-hmm. like weird ass show that's yeah. like campy as hell, and we're not gonna care for logic or people's opinions and whatever. I think that like then it really transcends uh, into language that the language that the characters use mm-hmm. in that show is just camp. Yeah, and of sometimes no, it's of course. sometimes like... it's intentional and sometimes it's unintentional, but like the the nature of camp is that it works both ways like it doesn't have to be the the intention of the the creator in order for something to be campy look the room by tommy wizzo yeah i mean that's the perfect example of camp and that's you know taken completely seriously whereas riverdale i think is of like intentional camp is very hard to achieve because it's it can come across as so cringy and so like mean spirited and ill spirited. We're like, oh, we're making fun of what, exactly what we're doing. But like, I think Riverdale does intentional camp really well. And like, you can't take like I don't know. Like Veronica is always ca- calling her like mob boss dad like daddy or poppy. And like River like Cheryl is always making these references like quoting movies all of a sudden like like quotes that people put like people post of like classic comedy movies or something that like ooh iconic quotes and Cheryl talks essentially in like an iconic quote page way where it's clearly deliberate and it we're clearly supposed to be in on the fun i that the show is trying to create and like I guess that's why I I really connect with Riverdale because it feel it really feels unlike anything that is on TV. I, I feel amazed that CW and Warner Brothers just completely let them do whatever the hell they want because it's so out there. I mean, you've obviously haven't watched a lot of CW shows. I mean, I have watched my fair share of of Supernatural. I- <laughs> 
No, but like Gossip Girl was on CW. Uh, what else? Gilmore Girls. I mean, they were on Warner Bros. That like later on became CW. But like, no, I think like Riverdale is just the most out there. But there was like a successive progression of development towards camp on mm-hmm. that network before Riverdale happened. Yeah, and it's like I don't picture like HBO letting like HBO is always like very acclaimed for letting the artists do their own thing, but I don't think even HBO would allow for a show to be this deliberately just insane and ridiculous and fun because it's like so devoid of any expectations i mean like people come to the cw right not expecting prestige not expecting like classic dramatic beats that people take seriously like serious acting serious writing serious drama like people don't know like to the cw is very much like guilty pleasure um production i feel like vampire diaries were cw gossip girl was cw mm-hmm. um, all the like dc tv shows that are also very campy are on cw why yeah. do we know so much about american television it's, no. it's insane it's it's insane but you know it's it's it is the way it is <laughs> but like <laughs> true but but like yeah like i was saying like people don't really ex- don't come to cw expecting that and i feel like the riverdale writing room sort of took advantage of that and say i mean the people watching this are like teenage girls and like people who clearly are into what the network does like are into this kind of shit so let's just go let's push the the like the expectations of this medium as far as we can po- as we possibly can and just go insane with it like the plot lines this show have this is like this remind this show is like this has like telenovela level like uh melodrama i was about to say that like i feel like riverdale has met this niche um in american television that you know you have brazilian or latin american telenovelas but also you have like um k-dramas or uh, japanese dramas so like they're very crazy like they i mean you, you i'm gonna show you like one of the like weirdest i mean not weirdest but like the plot lines there honey they're so outrageous yeah like yeah. outside I mean, of america up... yeah, yeah i mean you grew up in portugal you've watched yeah. you've watched yeah. those shows like course, i think like yeah. outside of america you have so much you know like i guess more or less respectable tv that just like you know it's well budgeted that just go goes off the rails you, you know what i mean and i feel like america because, I don't know, maybe it's, like, their Puritan prudish fundamentals of their culture, or at least wasp culture, which is the predominant one in America, at least when it comes to power and who decides what's good TV and what's not. I feel like, yeah. you know, for the very long time, America didn't have, like, its own show that was just crazy. And, like, Riverdale kind of meets that niche in American market where you just have a show that has relatively good actors and relatively good budget that just does... It just goes off the rails. It just does the craziest shit. And I think it's less impressive or less intriguing, you know, to a person like me that has watched a lot of K-dramas and a lot of telenovelas because I'm, like... You know, so many non-American shows have done this cr- these crazy plot lines, I feel like, better. Um, maybe mm-hmm. not, not better, but, like, I've seen it before, so, like, it doesn't have any novelty to me. But I think, like, the 
the success of Riverdale really comes from that. But like it brought something that America needed. But at the same time, America is allergic to subtitles. So like it will not take it from foreign media, but it will wait to have its own, um, I guess, product of that kind, you know? Yeah. And I feel like that's a great point. And like, I feel like the overall like taking Riverdale as a entirely as a joke thing oh it's clearly the worst show ever thing like that's like worldwide spread at this point really speaks to our Americanized way of watching media because like you know you have people in Latin countries like you know Portugal like like Portuguese TV you know even at their best like it's utterly insane melodrama like um like obviously comes shout from... out to lord <laughs> shout out to lord that's a different kind of melodrama but like um you know uh like obviously comes from a lot from uh latin countries in like inspiration um mm-hmm. brazilian and Ar- argentinian telenovelas but like um like it's it's insane it's kind of insane to think about like yeah americans re- never really grew up with this kind of just a ridiculous level of plotting of this ridiculous level of melodrama and i don't think they know how to react to that like and and like to, to a certain extent i think riverdale is the perfect way to integrate like this show like and i saw i feel like the showrunner the mid showrunners saw in archie comics to do this kind of show is that like archie comics is like the quintessential american boy and girl you know, uh, like, um, perfect image, like, you know, this, like, uh, sporty redheaded boy and, like, the blonde girl in, in Betty, you know, like, the, 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 um, you know, the perfect American quote-unquote looks. And, like, they saw that and they found a way to insert these kind of, like, cultural expectations of what drama is from other from other cultures and sort of inserted this into like what is considered like americana pretty much Mm. like classic americana and like and that's such a when i was referring to like how it reflects upon its own culture in america i think like that's a big part of why is that like it just it, it infuses these classical uh elements of what american exceptionalism or like america uh classic americana is and just completely like um turns it onto his onto its own head and like just goes off the rails with fantasy and horror and like gothic undertones and also like telenovela ridiculous like mob melodrama with veronica and Hiram's storyline like this show just offers you so much and i get that it's too much for like some people like this is very you know from the second season onward this is very off-putting i i think but like it just resonated with me i don't know Mm, no like i can deal with that level of chaos but like not for that many episodes like the reason why i gravitate so much towards east asian shows is that they usually just do a limited series so like you have like 20 hour long episodes but like that's it you rarely get like um like a proper sequel and continuation of that story so like i can watch it it's crazy and over the top and like especially like um korean shows have like this very specific humor that i like a lot similar to the the humor in anime 
And like, it's very, you know, it's not supposed to, I guess, resemble real life in any meaningful way. <laughs> and yeah. I can, and I can enjoy that. But like, it, it just, I need to know, like, it will not go on forever. Because like, I lose my interest if it's like just this so much all the time mm. for like no, 21 episodes a season you know and you yeah, don't know yeah. how many seasons there will be but like coming back to your point that like Riverdale is like essentially dealing with America today and like the American culture I also feel like all of like these teenagers are in many ways upholding the true American values of capitalism and like self um self-efficiency in the sense that like they all are starting business some businesses somehow and they feel yeah. like they need to run this town whatever and i think run you know, this if town you do... <laughs> <laughs> okay I, i'm sorry but i had i had to mention it i had to mention it that's a podcast classic but yeah okay moving on <laughs> Moving on. Lucy Hale, of course, is also in the Riverdale universe. Oh, yeah. Scatty Keen. How can we forget? Of course, of course. The queen herself. <laughs> the queen herself. The queen herself. No, but, like, I feel like giving... I think you can give, give screenwriters a benefit of the doubt that they are... You know, they might be smarter than you give them credit to, especially with shows like Riverdale. And I feel like what this show is trying to prove is just how ridiculous is like in american culture to idolize like i don't know like 18 year old influencers that are starting their own <laughs> business and whatever or like this idea that you're supposed to gain as much capital as early on in your life as possible and yeah. because that's the only way that you matter yeah or that's the only way that you're worth anything is if you accumulate and produce more and more capital and and especially like with Riverdale because like it's generational, right? Um like I yeah. think the show especially with the, the Heathers episode with the last number, it like it just shows just how this adoration of capitalism, like this very like extreme neoliberal way of also understanding capitalism, how just void and empty leaves everyone and it just, you know, continues generation onto generation onto generation because like we feel like you have to accumulate as much as as much capital as possible for your children, so for the next generation. And then you also pre- place that burden onto your children that you have to deal with the consequences of this capital, but also accum- accumulate more. Because, you know, um, there is an anthropological book that I want to read about how Essentially, the problem with how we view labor doesn't come directly from capitalism, but from the agricultural revolution that happened, like, you know, eons ago. But, like, this sense that you have to accumulate, 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 Mm -hmm. which later, you know, as we had historical development later turn into capitalism, um, as you had industrialization, like, it all comes from the sense that, like, you have to produce more so you can trade and to you so you can also leave something behind and um i just like you know i I don't think there's any way we can escape it at this point the system but i do think it's important to like point out just how empty it all leaves us if we just focus on you know on the future that we're not gonna get because i feel like a lot of people that are raised in capitalistic countries grow up with the sense of like I have to buy 
a house, I have to have money and I have to have a car. So like the people that will be here after my death are you taken care of. And like you completely leave out any needs that you might have or any happiness that you may feel that you deserve. You just hit the nail in the head of why I love the Heathers episode specifically, especially the last number, 17. I mean, like... However, let me just say, like, the fact that they didn't do Blue Balls, that number from Heathers, because that would have been sung by Archie and Reggie. Like, the fact (laughs) that they didn't do it, it's just... It's a crime against humanity, okay? It's just... If there's one number that the Riverdale should have done, it's Blue Balls! I mean... I mean, Riverdale certainly goes out there with the musical numbers in the uh, Edric and the Hangry Inch episode, which we'll get to eventually. But like, but like coming back to what you said, I mean, yeah, like a lot of the what Riverdale, like the uh, underneath the insane layers of layers of layers of plot in each season of Riverdale, and there's so much going on. It's insane. Like, um, you have like a mob boss trying to gentrify the entire town in in Hiram Lodge. You have an evil board game that's leading people, like that's a part of like a, uh, a family conspiracy to corrupt the youth of Riverdale. There's like uh, a serial killer that turns out to be one of the main character's father, uh, Betty's dad. Like you have... Like, a, a, a murder twin that comes back to the show as a corpse, as, like... His sister. His sister, like, hangs out with in the fourth season, in Cheryl and, and Jason Blossom. Like Don't forget this... Chad Malkin Murray making his yeah. grand comeback as a cult leader. Like, Chad Michael Murray pretty much, like, is the leader of a, cult, of a cult, as all of this that I just mentioned is happening. I mean, there are layers upon layers of insanity on this show and it's all purposefully outrageous but like the under you just hit the nail on the head of what like the underlying emotional resonance that you thought this just Riverdale just has and it's like all of these young characters all of these characters are just so empty and just so melancholic and like traumatized like this is just a show where every single character is deeply traumatized and like because of like of the environment the typical uh, american society small town society that they're inserted in and for one reason or the other that all leads them to be so melancholic and traumatized and like desensitized to just extreme violence and 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 shit like that it's I think there's really an emotional resonance to Riverdale, especially in the latter seasons in, in that aspect. Mm. Um, I also feel like with American, like the provincial American towns are so, it's such a, I don't know, I don't want to say important trope, but like when you think about American towns, they usually know like older, like maximum they're two centuries old. And because I feel like Americans are very, have this like, emotional connection to the ground maybe because they stole it i don't know (laughs) but like i feel like especially with these small towns these families rarely move or like if they move they move for like um like temporary and they always come back and they settle within the town and within the grounds that they were raised in and that they believe to be theirs and i think with riverdale it also like 
with the the generation that we primarily deal with so like the children like I feel there's also this like feeling of emptiness okay like my my parents build this part part of the town my grandparents build this part of the town and so on yeah. and so on like what is left for me to contribute but at the same time is it fair for me to just leave if like all these generations have built this place for me even though like this place leave me completely vapid yeah no that's that's exactly it and and like i mean you know like all of this shit has been you know um explored before in american media i mean all of that we mentioned also applies to twin peaks in its own fucked up way but like what yeah. riverdale does it's such a different way because it's so obviously campy and so obviously outrageous but like it still has that emotional resonance resonance in in a certain yeah. way but yeah to to be honest to tie it back to what we started the episode with which is camila cabello i think <laughs> Riverdale, as opposed to like other shows that are on mainstream American TV, like they're trying to do something different than like the Sean Mendes' shows out there. You know, like they are trying to bring this like campy aesthetic to it. And like that might not work for everyone, but like you have to give them credit where credit is due, which is that there is an artistic thought and artistic um intention there and i think like even if it doesn't speak to you i think you should respect it no i th i know i think even if you don't like it and i totally understand not liking riverdale don't get me wrong i'm not saying like if you don't like riverdale you're stupid because that's an incredibly dumb thing to say like yeah i totally get like... not liking it but i think it deserves a little bit more respect for what it's attempting to do i guess no, but, like, I also think it's, like, you know, you have the Gossip gossip Girl reboot right now, like, and I've read, I mean, even though I hate reading American reviews, I've read some of them, and they're like, oh, it's not as good and soapy and fun as the original, and I'm like, bitch, I was here when the original aired, and you guys hated the original, and I think that's the problem with also media that's, like, primarily targeted at teenage girls, is that, like, it will be stripped of any artistic intention. You know, like, it's just, it, it's bad because it's made for teenage girls and therefore, you know, it, it can't be intellectual. It cannot be, like, emotionally resonant in any way. And, like, mm -hmm. now that you have this reboot that's, like, doing something different and, like, whether it's doing it better or worse, like, it's up for discussion. But, like, it also has its own ideas and also has, its like, its own themes and, like, aesthetic choices. And now people, like... When all the teenagers that watch the original reboot are now young women, not the original reboot, the original Gossip Girl are now young women, that's okay to like, you know? That's okay, Be like, because it's no longer something that teenage girls like. So now mm -hmm. it has, like, themes and aesthetic choices and intellectual thingies, whatever. But, like, <laughs> the new Gossip Girl trash because it's directed at teenage girls today and i think like it's the same with riverdale is because just like like it's essentially just sexism you know like if the same yeah. show like all the aesthetic sh choices were the same but it aired on a channel that like the the target audience were i don't know teenage boys or young males i think it would have been applauded i don't think like like, you know, maybe there would be some, like, like, there would be some discourse about whether it's good or bad. Yeah. But, like, it would have been given 
some respect. Yeah, I think I found the perfect example of this, and it comes from CW itself. Like, for mm-hmm. a while, in, like, 2015, 2014, 2015, um, I was very big into comic books, so I started following all comic book-related media out there. So I mm-hmm. started watching the CW comic book shows. And, on, and like, I saw the critical reaction to all of the shows going on. And for, in one hand, I mean, Arrow is, is very... No, typically bland, whatever. But like The Flash is a very campy show and it's targeted yeah. at teenage boys. You know, it's I supposed mean, to be a hero to teenage boys. But it's still the main vi- character ex- is played by an actor that was on Glee. You can't I mean, have a course, main <laughs> actor from Glee and not and not have it be campy, you know? Like the show is extremely ridiculous. It's extremely like um it reminds me of, you know, sixties comic books, just extremely just hammy stuff. On the one, mm. on the other hand, you have Supergirl, also starring a uh, Glee um, alumni. Alumni. Yeah, the queen, the absolute legend, Melissa Benoist. Melissa Benoist, right? That's how it's. It's actually pronounced Benoist because it has an S. Uh, oh, I hate uh, French. Let's continue. <laughs> <laughs> except uh, for you, Timothy Bechamel. Except for you. But yeah, I I think I, th- I think so. God, I hope I'm not wrong. But I've always heard it pronounced no, Melissa Benoist. Anyway. I think there was, like, a James Corden show where she said that, like, it's supposed to be Benoit, but, like, her family pronounced it Benoist. No, how did you say it? Benoist. Benoist. Her family pronounced it Benoist, and that's that's how it's supposed to be pronounced, because that's, like, you know, how the family pronounced it. Yeah, yeah. So, I've I've literally always heard it like that, so, yeah. Bestie Melissa, anyway. (laughs) Yeah, I love her. Anyway, uh, like, those two shows, like, um, Supergirl, to this day, is still panned. Meanwhile, and, and it's doing the exact same thing that The Flash is doing, but meanwhile, The Flash, even with its equally, like, low-budget and hammy effects and, like, over-the-top villains, it's, it's like, acclaimed. And I've never got that. Never. And, like, I think that speaks to what you said. I don't know. Yeah, no, I think it's, all like, also when you look at Marvel, like, a lot of people pan Captain Marvel because, like, the heroine was just so out of touch and I think that's a valid, you know, criticism. And also Marvel films are very formulaic. Yeah. But, like, no one, you know, no one criticized, I don't know, um, I'm trying to think of Marvel movies. <laughs> no, but, like... I know, Ant-Man or whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah. No no one criticized, like, Ant-Man to be, like, a one-note kind of character. Or, I don't yeah. know, Thor. Like, Thor until, like, um, Taiki took it over like Toru was also a very one note character and like no like you didn't have the same amount of like just not even from the critics themselves but like from the internet response and like the mm-hmm. internet hate towards both the actors and the creators and the film itself like the response is just you can't compare it you, you know what mm-hmm. I mean like the amount of video essays that or just, like, discussions about, like, Captain Marvel, like, how bad it is, and it's just, like, you know, it's, I'm not saying that, like, you can make a bad female-led movie, of course you can, and, like, you can write a terrible female lead, like, this is not me, you know, um, I'm not protecting, but, like, this is not me being, like, Captain Marvel is a good movie, but, like, I think the criticism is very much sexist, no. tinged I mean, in a way course, that like is just not fair and is just not objective you know what i mean 
no i it's the perfect example as well and like yeah no it just it just is what it is and like i guess riverdale on that same hand is also because of its love triangles and its attractive male yeah, leads no. it's always very much directed at teen girls so there's maybe also an aspect of you know criticism yeah. heading towards it yeah and it's on like and it's on a channel that is primarily like the pro the primary audience of that channel are females young females yeah. you know like statistically so like of course it's bad and like you, i just i can see with riverdale especially like it's later episodes it's like i can see riverdale in like a decade time when the next generation of teenagers find it it will be like the coolest thing the way like oh yeah tiktok um uh, like essentially uh, revitalize the original Gossip Girl and like mm-hmm. all the, the the preppy look and the aesthetic of it all, you know. And like, I think also like with shows such as Gossip Girl or Vampire Diaries, like they were big and they have influenced um like mainstream culture so much, but we don't give them like any credit. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I know you haven't watched Gossip Girl, but like whenever I, I will. see any. I will. <laughs> you will oh you will no but like whenever i see like a girl wearing a headband i'm just like oh that's blair you know what i mean (laughs) and it's no but like blair is kind of singing sing single-handedly brought about the preppy look because gossip girl premiered in 2007 so like think like paris hilton aesthetic from that time that was yeah. the fashion for the cool girls and yeah. then blur happened and suddenly preppy school again you know what i mean yeah and to harken back to last episode i mean we talked about glee and i think glee nowadays is at in the on the one hand being reclaimed and on the other hand being increasingly like hated and both for very valid reasons because glee yeah you know uh but like you know kids are going back to glee i i and i think like, kids are also going to be going back to riverdale whereas the difference is I genuinely think that kids born in like this decade, the 2010s, will look back at Riverdale and say, this show was insane and they're going to wear it proudly. They're going to say like this thing was good, actually. Uh, and meanwhile, like the way that people look at Glee is just, wait a minute, what the hell was going on here? And like, I think that Glee, in a weird way, as much as I you know, love it, <laughs> uh, I think Glee <laughs> is a worse show than Riverdale. Yes, I said it. Like, I think Glee is a much worse show Ooh. than Riverdale. And I think it's go- it's only aging so much worse than Riverdale will be. Uh, I think, I mean, like, I I think there are two Glees. You have yeah, the first three seasons of Glee, and then you have the rest. And I think with Riverdale, you also have two Riverdales. You have the first season, and you have the rest of the show. And I think the difference is, is that, like, the part of the Riverdale nostalgia that I predict will center on, like, the later seasons and the craziness 100%. of that. And meanwhile, I think that yeah, the nostalgia like, for Glee is usually for the first three seasons. No, 100%. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. However, I've because I've listened to a few covers that you neither you nor uh, um, Pedro or not Antonio sorry included in their playlists, and I really like the um, crazy "You Drive Me Crazy" mashup. I think it's from the second Britney episode. It's very nice. Yeah, yeah. Oh, like, but but you know, Glee has the music going for it, and how legitimately really great the music in Glee often was, and you know, yeah. it has its going I mean, for it, which you know, and also, of... oh, and I also feel like sorry, no, it's fine. I, I also think like it was a great choice of them to like, um, 
cast a lot of Broadway actors and actresses because like even if no like you said like the music really sells the show and like they give these people and these numbers budget and they also like bring in a lot of amazing singers that just like produce quality covers or like sometimes covers that are better than the original and like they're yeah just so n- enjoyable to listen to even if like you know you don't care about the show and the characters like you will like the music and i think that's the true glee legacy except for the humor that you we know, talked about last okay. episode i will i will say i will say this just as a complete aside and i since no one is listening to this no one will cancel me for this <laughs> okay go so on. let let's just go let's just go uh the glee cover of landslide by fleetwood mac just as good just as fucking good that's all, that's that's my opinion. Okay, let me think of a cover that I know that I think is better than the original, so I can like. I mean, to be honest, nothing can top my hot take that "Clean" is not a good song. "Clean" by Taylor Swift. I mean, that's an ins- that's like the craziest <laughs> take I've ever heard in my life. It's just I don't like it. It just doesn't work. <laughs> no, I will no no. <laughs> but yeah. Um... No, yeah. but yeah, Riverdale. I'm River Yeah, I... I was I was actually going to talk about like I think we've talked about <laughs> why Riverdale is the way it is and why it's in you know its reception, its reputation and all that. Shout out to Taylor Swift reputation. All of that. <laughs> uh Riverdale kind of is a reputation ask album. I mean Betty's con- like Betty's always in her reputation era, if you really think about it. Speaking of speaking of Betty. Lily, Lily, Jesus, no, Lily Reinhardt. Why the fuck aren't you on Broadway? Exactly. Exactly. And that, and that, like, perfect segue to what I was actually going to say that now that we've got that all the way, I think we should really focus on the real crown jewel of what the six episodes we watch, which are the musical episodes. They are amazingly fun. They're amazingly fun. I also respect that they're doing lesser-known musicals. I mean, the Carrie one, I think they actually wrote the music because I don't know any Carrie musical, but, uh, like, I might be wrong. But, like, I really respect them going for, like, maybe not niche, but, like, you know, not the... Because I don't think, like, people that watch Riverdale are essentially, like, big musical fans. You know, it's not like a show, like, I don't know, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Like, it's Mm, clearly directed to people that are... Um, musical literate, let's call it that way. But, like, I really respect the fact that, like, instead of just going with, like, oh, let's do Le Mis or, like, I don't know, let's do Phantom of the Opera or whatever, like, shit that, like, new, like normies will know. Like, they actually <laughs> going for, <laughs> for stuff that, like, suit both the aesthetic of the show and also, like, just what the characters are going through like they i mean mm-hmm. except for the like <laughs> that one number in, oh in the head with boy so. we'll get to it <laughs> and, like i really like that they actually like make the songs make sense in the narrative of the episodes which i also think like yeah. is a great homage to musical theater where you you know you don't sing the song just to like sing a song it's part of the narrative of yeah. the show and yeah. so, uh, yeah, mad respect for that. I However, think... why did they not sing Blue Balls? <laughs> <laughs> I need to see, I actually need to see the headers of the musical. Because I love the movie, but I need to be like, to see the movie. The, the, uh, the... I think there's a bootleg somewhere. Yeah, I'm sure that I, I need to watch it. But yeah, like, 
I think not only do I think they're very inspired choices for a musical and perfectly fit the, th- the the themes and the aesthetic of Riverdale. Um, you know, obviously the three ones are ones from season two, which is uh, Carrie, Carrie, Carrie the musical. Uh, two, is, no, season three is uh, Heather's the musical, and season four is Hedwig and the Angry Inch. So very niche, not niche like you said, but like you know, very particular like. Know, careful choices i'd say and like yeah especially you know the carry the carry episode there's sort of there's more going on other than the musical like the entire thing uh ends with a murder based on like which you know goes goes in in hand with the overall plot of the season which is there there's a serial killer out in riverdale uh but like Season three's Heather's musical is so, and Edric and Dan Grinch too, like go so hand in hand with what the show had been doing up to that point, and they just fit perfectly. I mean, oh my god, I love the seventeen number at the end so much. It's just, it's, it's like I think it's the best scene in Riverdale ever. It's it's very well chosen. I think first of all as a song choice. And second of all, I've, like, you know, I've only watched a few episodes, but, like, from what you've told me about, like, what happens there throughout the seasons, I think it's just such a well-earned moment, you know? Because, like, what 100%. I like about shows that are not, like, strictly dramatic or stri- strictly, like, melodramatic. I love when a show is, like, has elements of comedy or is, like, primarily comedy and throughout character development and its themes that they you know might introduce like semi-seriously like I love when a show earns a really genuine moment because like I feel like it also hits you more because if you watch like you know I don't know if you watch like a lot of heartbreaking shows on HBO like Oz for example which is very hard to watch um I don't know if you watch it but it's about prison population I I I know about it but I've never seen the full show only like snippets I know of it Yeah. yeah It's very, it's very heavy, and like even when you and and so like it it hits you, but like because it's like heavy all the time, you just the hit doesn't hit so much. If that makes sense, you know, like yeah, when the yeah. show like Riverdale, you don't expect this amount of sincerity, I guess, and this amount of like very nuanced emotional portrayal of generational trauma <laughs> uh-huh, and so i think yeah. that's why it kind of hits you more because like you just you, you didn't expect it in that way oh yeah but at the same time it's so so well earned and i think a lot of these like very heavy 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 shows don't understand is that like in real life when even if you're going through something very traumatic and very hard you still like s- silly stuff still happens to you it's like it's not heavy all the time even if you're like very clinically depressed like memeish things will still happen to you and so i think it's untrue um not to say that riverdale is very lifelike but like i think it's very <laughs> untrue of um the human condition to just portray it as like this very heavy thing but at the same time oz like the setting and like the structural issues that it portrays that like lead to the setting being as depressive as it is like this is not me (laughs) bashing on us (laughs) this is me just saying that like i feel like we shouldn't think that a show is lesser in the truth department if it allows for silliness as well as heartbreak yeah i totally agree uh and 
God, this moment is so well earned. So, like, this number is all about, like, characters, the characters, like, teen characters, sort of wanting to be free from, like, the shackles of, like, trauma and, like, uh, tragedy all around them and just a moment where there can be kids, a moment where they can love and party and have fun without the burden of their own traumas and like that perfectly applies to the kids in Riverdale because oh my god there are serial killers everywhere <laughs> there are like murders there are supernatural creatures there are like mob bosses trying to buy out the entire city like it's heavy shit you know dealt in a very campy way but it's you know still heavy shit happening to these characters and the way they are this is a very small town, so the entire town goes to the high school production of Heathers to see the kids perform. And, like, the way that the, all of the characters, the way it's staged, too, it's so good. Like, the way all of the characters, like, line up, they face the crowd, like, eye to eye. The adults, their own parents, the, own, the generation that came before them, that, in you know, unintentionally in most cases... Uh, aren't responsible but you know everything in Riverdale is generational and the plot of Riverdale is generational so like they face their own parents their own relatives and say why can't we just be 17 while they yearn for that feeling of normalcy and it's such a poignant moment in this huge shitpost of a show I just I love yeah. it I love it so much and also I love that like most of the parents are played by 90s icons which I yeah, think just I add that much <laughs> but I also feel like it adds that much weight to that theme of generational things like the, cy the cycle of Riverdale because like most people will recognize these actors from like when they were teenagers in 90s movies right and so yeah, like they're yeah. not just like this nameless 40 year old woman or 40 year old guy that just plays the parent like you know them you know them from their youth so like they're not faceless in that sense and like then these this this theme of generational trauma just hits you more because you can actually conceptualize the previous generation as teenagers that's a great point you know to put uh like names to faces like you have obviously uh luke perry r.i.p king we loved you I loved you. Absolute king. Our, uh, Luke Absolute Perry king. plays plays um, Archie's dad. We didn't see her, but Molly Ringwald actually plays Archie's mom. Um, uh, you know, we have Gina G Gershon playing uh, Jughead's mom. Skeet Ulrich from the Scream movies playing Jughead's dad. You have... Um, Metzen. You have Metzen Amick from, from, you know, Twin Peaks playing Betty's mom. You have like got so many. I mean, the only one that's kind of like nameless in that sort of way is Hiram Lodge, played by the by this Hispanic actor, who I should you not is an actual telenovela veteran, uh, which I is mean, a, amazing casting choice right there because that's the biggest telenovela guy. character Riverdale has. Like, I mean, he, you can see that though, like he knows how to play the telenovela villain. Yeah, just... yeah. I just respect telenovela veterans so much. Oh, they got they've gone through so much, but yeah, I mean, you know, all actor, all famous actors in Portugal are telenovela veterans because that's the way the business works. They gotta earn money, so they I gotta mean, go through it. So like here, huge, it's huge respect. <laughs> like you know, <laughs> I mean, here you have the same pattern. Like the like the new generation of actors have like traded the like um TV soap operas for like 
cringy stuff that Netflix produces, like some cringy romantic comedies. And like the pattern here is like you have all these actors that do like more or less cringy TV here. There's like million episodes, and then like and all the like the artistic thespian shit they do in the theater because they usually are like either in the national theater in Warsaw or in some private theater and so mm-hmm. they like do like really meaty shit there exactly. and they just go to the tv to like earn their paycheck yeah, that's just, exactly that's the pattern exactly the same in Portugal I mean me and Antonio recently went to uh the theater to see uh this play featuring a very like this uh telenovela icon of an actress like like a generational like telenovela meme essentially and she's just this amazing actress in the theater at the same time so like it's exactly like it's you know this kind of the way like you know the the living as an actor in europe and i guess southern america too i guess is Mm. like functions like outside of america and america's way of structuring content and stuff like that. I feel yeah. also like it's very specific to American actors to never have done any theater because like mm-hmm. even when like British actors mm-hmm. or English actors to be more specific, even if they're like very they do actually prestigious TV and film, they usually have either background in act in theater acting or like they continue to act in theater. Like I think it's like you said, it's just like it's very American for an actor to never do theater. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, like, an interesting point that reminded me of, like... Because, like, the idea of prestige television is very recent and very uniquely American. Because I mean, I wouldn't say it's recent, because, like, you've had relatively, prestigious... Relatively. Relatively recent. But, like, TV also, as a medium, is relatively recent, I think. Yeah, okay. I was me- I, think... I was mentioning, of course, like, you know, before in the 50s and 60s, you have, like, mainly sitcoms, but it was with, mm. the, like, the 80s mainly in the US that you have these, wow, you have, like, um, great filmmakers and great screenwriters and great actors showing up at television, and that sort of revolutionized the way people look at television with, you know, HBO, Sopranos, Twin Peaks, all that, you know? Mm. But, yeah. but, like, which makes me think, what would Riverdale be as, like, hated on if tv never suffered this revolution would it just be a normal tv show because i think it would honestly no i think the problem is that like um the problem with any medium especially if it starts out to be like very commercial and very low brow and then like any medium no medium wants to be low brow if you know what i mean like yeah i, I guess in some ways because yeah. Because, like, we live in a structured society. <laughs> we live in the society. We live no, like... in a society. You've heard it here first. <laughs> no, but, like, we live in a very structured society. And also we are told that, like, the only way to judge some things, like, a cultural text worth is for its um, prestige. And prestige is judged by the canon that is created by, like, a very specific... Um, group and is usually like um very well educated in love with themselves themselves white elderly men (laughs) yeah and and i think whenever you have something that like doesn't appeal to them it's seen as less and lesser i mean that certainly was a case for like literature and um and i think it just like the moment tv kind of became just important enough to notice by these 
like canon makers, they introduce the same makings of the canon that they've introduced to literature and music and all the other mediums are older than television. And so like, I, I don't think, you know, like I, I don't think it's necessary to be like the introduction of prestigious or like more, um, a, a bigger spectrum of what you can do on TV and with mm. that medium that is necessary to blame. I think what's to blame mm. is as always the people that make the canon and the people that yeah, okay. are supposed to be the arbitraries of what's good and what's not. And so like, even yeah. if Riverdale was to be introduced in, I don't know, in the forties, as long as there was a man that would like, I mean, as long as there was a man, no, like as long <laughs> as the, the people that decide what makes a canon and what makes something good, didn't like Riverdale, then like Riverdale is bad. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know that's a that's actually a way more well developed point that I was making. You're totally right. Yeah, but yeah. So like Riverdale, like you know, like culture can progress in a direction that we have no idea of. But like, if the canon makers like continue to be the same group, then like even a century from now, Riverdale will be seen as shit because the people that we give give reverence to will say that it's shit you know like um i was watching a video essay on like sour the the olivia rodrigo album Mm -hmm. and the statistic that was given in that video essay is that like around 80 percent of like music reviewers but i also think like it's true to like the majority of culture reviewers are male so like which is not to say that like people that identify as male have no way of like judging (laughs) you know media that is um, targeted towards females in a fair way but I do think that this proportion also leads to the disproportion of critical reverence given to different shows yeah yeah of course you know you know the internet allowing you know marginalized people and like just people that aren't old white men essentially having a voice definitely revolutionized that fandom culture etc etc and riverdale is very much a product of that sort of both the adoration and the hatred towards riverdale is a product of that yeah yeah but also like we've internalized this um canon gaze i guess so much that like we don't like i think like a lot of people hate on riverdale and they don't even really give it a shot you know what definitely, I mean? Which is, definitely. Which is why, like, I always try to make up my mind on my own. So, like, I'll listen to Justin Bieber, even though I, I don't really like him. I don't like his persona, and I haven't really liked any of his previous projects. But, like, maybe this one, you know, will make the difference. And, like, I think so much of culture... Because, like, obviously, the perception of art is subjective, right? But, like, I feel like people... It's hard to, like draw the line between your subjective um aesthetic preferences and just your internalized canon and your internalized and idea of what what makes good and what makes bad entertainment and in comes and from that i think stems a, th- a term that i really don't like at all which is guilty pleasure which is guilty pleasure culture whereas like this thing where this thing perfectly aligns with um, a person might say this thing perfectly aligns with, you know, my aesthetic preferences and my taste, but it doesn't allow, it doesn't align with the canon view of a culture. So they tend to label it as guilty pleasures. I know this isn't what is quote unquote 
good, but I like it, and I'm ashamed to bring it up socially, but I like it, so it's my own little thing. Well, it shouldn't be like that. You should, like, wave the flag of what your aesthetic preferences is, because that's how taste evolves, and that's that's how culture itself ends up evolving, with people, like, showing their unique perspectives and uh, their unique um, references to not only their own work, but the way they, you know, share their critical thinking onto you know the media scape mm. in general so uh i mean i mean yeah the only guilty pleasure that makes sense is listening to r kelly or any other pedophile that Th- now that's a real guilty now that's a real literal <laughs> guilty pleasure right there you like, know what i mean yeah no it's like you don't yeah. want to listen to it but like at the same time the man produced bobs i'm sorry but he did <laughs> It's I mean, like it's like my biggest example of the, of that is like me, you know, loving Rosemary's Baby, and it's literally like one of the biggest pieces of shit on the planet. Roman Polanski did it, so yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to sound like. Pleasure. Yeah, I think I've told you about like the the thing that I don't like about like how people perceive Roman Polanski, and this is not me being a Roman Polanski apologist. I think he should be in jail and he should suffer the consequences of his own actions, but like. Like, I think people forget just, like, how traumatic his life has been. And this is not necessarily an excuse, but, like, I feel like... Especially when, like, people talk about, like, mass killers and, like, mass... Uh, and serial rapists, etc., etc. I feel like they just focus on this one deed. And I think that's not very useful. Because, like, in order for you to understand how to prevent another, quote-unquote, mm. monster to emerge, you have to understand, like the sequence of events that led to like them developing to be so insensitive to other people other people's i guess pain and just focusing on what they need from other people because you know i, I not to quote legally blonde but like no one happy <laughs> rapes <laughs> other people you know or no one happy kills other people you know yeah. what i mean yeah yeah oh that's a great quote from legally blonde like laying down the it's, real truth right there that's i completely agree like, yeah <laughs> it's so true it's so true you know and i think also like there's a difference between like wanting people to be accountable and but at the same time understanding that like they're still human and like the the trauma that they suffered has um influenced their actions and like apologizing for them you know what i mean like i think you know roman polanski raped a 13 year old girl and he should suffer judiciary consequences of that for like if for no other reason just to set like a legal precedent so like other men or other women or other non-binary people that commit the same act can also be held responsible legally um but um that necessarily doesn't mean that we can go about like oh roman polanski is like a monster whatever it's like no like you know the the truth is always a bit more complex than that and like you should suffer consequences for your actions but like no single action defines you as a human being i think and i think especially like roman polanski you can still appreciate his artistic um artistry like with uh, Rosemary's Baby or with Chinatown, like those are very good films, and I think you can appreciate them, and, and I think you can appreciate his talent, but at the same time, call for like judiciary consequences to his actions, I to mean, his crimes. Like, and I mean, that's you, the, like, I think that's a very you know nuanced way of looking at it, and I agree, <laughs> and I and, and I agree with it because like, you know, more like Roman Polanski like apologists there's a it's very one blatant example which is this 
Portuguese critic for this Portuguese newspaper I follow. Mm-hmm. And it's like this guy he's like he's never saying that Polanski is a good person or or like that he's saying that like he did what he did but like this man is an artistic giant and he should be allowed to keep making these amazing um films or whatever even though his recent stuff sucks uh okay mm-hmm. uh, but uh like he should be continued to allow and like he the fact that people and like where he clearly ignores the fact that he hasn't suffered enough judicial consequences for what he's done yeah. meanwhile the other side is just like well time to completely close myself off from anything i may enjoy that yeah. may have come from this man i think both sides are are faulty in a certain way so yeah, yeah. i think like there is a difference between appreciating someone's artistic contributions to our like shared um cultural legacy and it's completely different but like judging him as an individual that has done wrong and should suffer consequences for his wrongdoings there we go riverdale (laughs) (laughs) riverdale no um i wanted to say something about riverdale but like it escaped my mind you just said the roman polanski and it's like haha i can spread my my agenda (laughs) Um, no, but, like, yeah, I, I think it's just, like, two little people actually think for themselves, you know, and, like, it's very evident, <laughs> I worked it, <laughs> hot takes with Marcy, no, but, like, um, it, to, it became very evident to me when I worked in the art house cinema for a year, and we were playing Green Book, and we were playing it before it got nominated, and then won, and after, and, like, before it was even nominated, there was, like, I don't know, five people for the screening you know and like the moment it got nominated it became like 30 people and the moment it won we had like sold out screening after screening and i think that like just tells you you know everything that you kind of need to know about like the general trend when it comes to critical consensus from the populace is that like they just populace (laughs) (laughs) that's such a funny term to me i'm sorry they just wait for someone else to do the ruling to tell them what's good and what's not and then they just will follow you know what yeah you yeah, it's in a certain way you're right because like honestly and this is a message to our audience of one <laughs> or two people like don't let the critical consensus tell you that riverdale is bad or good or whatever don't hear it from me like seriously if you have any gravitational pull that br- that like makes you want to see Riverdale, but you're ashamed to admit it or like ashamed to actually do it because you think it's a waste of time, just do it. Honestly, my advice to people, just like watch what you want and wave your flag about what you like or dislike about it. Seriously, I think like critical consensus and canon are absolute bullshit. Ter- like I, I don't... Mean- like I, that's why I don't like Rotten Tomatoes as a website, but that's another conversation. I mean, I like Rotten Tomatoes because it has a lot of like useful features. So, for example, they have like a for each month they have a rundown of like things that will start streaming on different platforms. Oh and, yeah, like... you know, yeah, yeah, I agree. No, but yeah, but you know what I mean. And I think like yeah. it's still better than IMDb when oh, you for want sure. to like look for like <laughs> movies that are like similar or like to explore someone's filmography, but like. You know, you have to remember that, like, the critical consensus is usually the critical consensus of American critics, and I uh-huh. do not respect American critics. And that's, like, that's what you have to remember. Yeah. And then you can also see that, like, it's a very American 
website because whenever you like to you you want to like look for a critical consensus on non-american movies like i don't know east asian films or south asian films or indian films or i don't know nigerian films or european films whatever like very rarely are they there and if they are there they usually don't have a score uh-huh uh, absolutely and like and so my approach towards my relationship with criticism, I mean, you know, when I was a teenager getting into films, obviously I followed mm. IMDb and every, every kid does. But like, I think that watching so much of this shit just allowed me to have my own critical tastes. And like right now, I really don't even look at critical consensus. I just look, I have about like three or four people in this world that whose taste I actually trust. And they're all my mm. friends. They're literally all my friends because I know them and I know what like gr brings them to that piece of media and like like attracts them to that piece of media and their own perspectives. And like that interests me. That's advice I'm willing to take. But like yeah. with critics and I mean, you know, I, I read a lot of criticism and like I don't really trust critics tastes at all. But what I do like in criticism is obviously like ways of argumentation writing styles but never actual opinions oh this guy liked yeah. it so much what i don't really have that at all because it's like, like that's the thing i've carved my own tastes and sensibilities so much so that i don't really i don't really look i don't really sometimes i don't even really know what is prestigious or not because like old with old i went to see old and like two of my closest friends who went to see it and whose opinions i very much trust like said it was one of their favorite movies of the year and so like oh yeah i'm clearly gonna like this and i saw it and i loved it but like looking at the critical opinion like people don't like critics don't really like it but like i'm all i i don't know i've and that's what I think more people should do. I'm not saying that people shouldn't pay attention to critics. I think I think critics are very useful because, you know, like I said, those are very well-informed opinions. But like, yeah, you should I mean, really like, carve out your own tastes, and that's what I really yeah. advocate for. If you want to watch something, if you're gra gravitating towards something, like just do it. Just really, because I'm sure you have something interesting to say about it. Whoever yeah. you are. <laughs> you one person to listen to is no but like i feel like canon is kind of like gender in a sense that like it is useful and like we've invented it for a reason and but like we shouldn't treat it as something unmovable or something that is like you know god's word mm -hmm. and like no canon is created for like various elements usually just like how a given uh community structured and more than that like how a different community that has cultural hegemony like what's their relationship with that community which is why for example when you have like global literature uh, canon it's usually just like i don't know russian literature french literature maybe some italian literature maybe some spanish or portuguese or latin american literature mm -hmm. but like you you won't find i don't know nigerian works <sighs> Me yeah. coming back to Nigeria. No, but, like, Nigeria is one of, like, the biggest film producers. So, like, oh, Nollywood. Should... Nollywood is huge. I would love to watch Nollywood. I, I can't believe I actually haven't watched a full Nollywood film. I need but to. That's, but that's, like, that's exactly my point. Like, they're one of the biggest film producers out there. But, like, how many Western distributors actually, like, distribute their films, you know? In, because, and like, that's exactly... 
Yeah. And that's exactly how canon works. Is essentially you have someone at the center that has the cultural hegemony that decides what gets to be remembered, what gets to be ascribed to the canon, and what gets to be forgotten. Oh, yeah. And, and I mean, it, it, like a lot of progress has been made because certain great institutions like Cinematheques all over the world, mm. like the Criterion Collections and a good job, like, you know, great film figures, great film figures like Martin Scorsese has championed many Indian filmmakers, many yeah. Japanese filmmakers, especially. And like, Tarantino as well. Like he yeah. like he was the first person that kind of introduced Bong Joon-ho and his films into like non-Korean audiences. Yeah, so like, like a lot of good, great people in like sort of the Western canonic sphere have done great work, but like there's still so much more to be like explored and had and like, God, yeah. we, I I really actually want to watch an Hollywood film now. Like I'm really captivated by it. <laughs> we can look for something. We can look yeah. for something and plan an episode around it. But yeah, no, like that's it. Just make up your own mind. Like I think. You know, canon is important, but I also think it's important to remember how canon is made and in whose interest it is made. And so, like, maybe when sometimes something is panned by critics and the internet spheres alike, it probably just might be targeting at teenage girls and it's just sexism and misogyny and you probably should just watch it on your own. Same with Red Riding Hood. It had like 11% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's amazing. Oh, it's that a movie manifest sounds... on feminism. That like, movie sounds I will awesome. die on that hill. That, I, I, like, I want to watch that movie. That movie sounds awesome. It's just it's it's about female sexuality and how female sexuality develops and is, and is related to in patriarchal society and it's amazing. Amanda Seyfried is fucking amazing in it and it's just it's it's so good and like it has eleven percent, but like every other Marvel movie, which is essentially the same movie just oh, with different don't cast, you get me started. <laughs> it has at least seventy percent. A, a bullshit baby-brained, <laughs> pea-brained-ass motherfuckers need to stop reviewing. Okay, I'll stop. <laughs> if, dear listener, if there's any canon that you should care about, it's our canon. The shit <laughs> talking. See, you should listen. Our canon, I probably, like, canon sucks, but, like, but our can listen to our canon. So, like, Lucy Hale, Jennifer Coolidge, Taylor Swift, Jennifer, Jennifer Tilly, Tilly. <laughs> same. <laughs> Chuck the the entire Chucky franchise. Check out the trailer that just dropped. Uh, we need to see it. Uh, Honestly, like my my recipe for like deciding whether you should respect a director or screenwriter or actor or actress or like whatever any like film person. Like look at their filmography. If they have done at least like one campy shit. Then you know they're great. Like, that's it. <laughs> and, and, and like, and they stand by it, and they they don't act like embarrassed by it. Then you know they're like, okay, this person knows. What Essentially, doing. you have to look for Megan Fox talking about Jennifer Body in every single film person, and if they like project that vibe, those vibes, you know that they are a true artist. Oh yeah, Megan Fox is a true artist, a hundred percent for sure. Yeah. And also, like, oh my god, Jennifer's body is so good, and it's just... Uh, I need they, to, I, I need to rewatch Jennifer's body. That movie, when I saw it, I saw it very young, and I was like, ah, hmm. uh, this is, uh, I was, like, my opinion wasn't nearly as formed as I, my, I, as I am now, but, like, when I first saw it, I was like, I don't really get this, but, like, I saw it later at, like, 18, and I'm like, 
It's kind of kicks ass, but if I watched it yeah. now, I think it will be like top 10 ever for me, honestly. Yeah. No, like, I was, a, like, there's a whole video essay on YouTube about how Jennifer Body was just a victim of its own marketing. But, like, and, like, I related to it so much because I remember when I saw, like, the, div- the DVD for Jennifer's Body and, like, the DVD rental shop that me and th- my dad used to go to before streaming. And, like, I look at the, the cover and it's like, okay, this is not a film for me, you know? Because, mm-hmm. like, it, yeah. it wasn't marketed as a film for me. And then, like, I stayed curious and then I watched the trailer and the trailer even loud, even, like, said even louder that this is not a film for you. And so, like, I didn't watch it until, like, I was 20 or 21. And, like, mm-hmm. I would love to have seen that movie a lot earlier because I feel like... Oh, yeah. It talks so much about like male gaze and female gaze, and um, yeah. I'm I'm so glad I saw a show like Riverdale when I was already in my twenties, and not when I was. And, and and it obviously didn't come out then, but like that I didn't see it. It didn't come out when I was like fourteen and started watching it then, because I was just dismissed it, and I was just. I would just lose out on such a positive and like genuinely creatively engaging experience for me that is watching Riverdale because it's so for me it's such a stimulating show for me specifically Mm. yeah it's like you miss out on a lot if you strictly adhere to the canon most of times it's very Americanized nowadays especially and like yeah really are you really gonna let like the Americans decide what's (laughs) come on I mean look at their country do you really think that they're the best people to judge um, but yeah, no. That that being said, I'm still very sad that Jughead is not asexual because I would love to have like that's, more that's, asexual that's, representation. That's conflicting because like I would love that, but too, uh, Jughead and Betty is like the perfect campy parody of like the the typical like I'm a mysterious girl, blonde pretty girl, <laughs> and he's my here's my alternative boyfriend couple from like the Tumblr days. It's just a perfect parody of that, and I love that's it so true. much. So yeah, yeah, that's true. No, I, I, I think like had we had no, that's great. If we had, yeah, no, had we had no, I think had we had is grammatically correct. Honestly, okay. Right? I think so. No, I'm trying to decide whether I'm using the right conditional, but I think I am. Anyway, it's it's 11 here, so forgive me. Uh, had we had more ace representation, like accurate ace representation, not just like a joke or, you know, uh, propelling the asexual stereotypes that are already very much ingrained in social understanding uh, of the of what is asexuality i think it would have stung less because then we'll mm-hmm. be like oh, okay like this was a creative choice yeah and like i have all these other figures in mainstream that like i can use to make people understand better what it is to be asexual but because you have like so little representation and usually if you have representation it's like either like a supporting character that is not in all of the episodes so like they're easy to miss or it's um like in some niche tv shows that, like not everyone's gonna watch you know what i mean yeah true i mean ace we have an entire episode on asexual representation lined up so yeah keep your yeah keep your singular pair of eyes listening <laughs> out. 
out out for that. Uh, but yeah, like also you mentioned Jughead. It's I think we should mention this. I still think so. Jughead is portrayed as this very like alternative hipster guy. <clears throat> you know the famous quote, "I'm weird. I don't fit mm-hmm. in." You know that famous quote. But like I, I but it's he's like so just a hipster bro, like a straight hipster bro. Like I want to be a writer and more stuff like that. But like, he's very straight. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes it even funnier that we were talking about the musicals. And I need to reference that Jughead in the middle of his teen angst breaks out in song in the Edwig and the angry inch episode. And you literally start singing exquisite corpse, which is a song essentially about, uh, sex reassignment bodily surgery, dis- yeah, and, and bodily, bodily dysmorphia, dysmorphia. And, bo- and, and bodily dysphoria. Like, it's it's that is like I said, like I said, I said to you this, but like that is both mm-hmm. the definition of camp and the absolute opposite of camp. And I, this is just a level. Riverdale is just pr- this is just proof that Riverdale is operating on a level that like just no one else is. Like that's intense. but also like. <laughs> To maybe give the credits to um, the screenwriters, I also think it's like very um, interesting meta textually because like Hedwig centers uh, gender queer experience, and except for Kevin and Cheryl, but like even them, like they're gay, but you know all of the main characters. I think all of the characters on Riverdale actually are cis. Correct me if I am wrong. Oh yeah, and, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's so, you know, it's so prevalent in mainstream culture that we appropriate transness and we appropriate queerness in general to just further straight or heteronormative. Uh, And I think nowadays mostly, maybe not heteronormative, but like cis-normative stories. The like, I think it's a very, like smart way of like highlighting it like here you have something very specific to the trans experience and it's appropriated by white teenagers like oh yeah i also feel like disconnected from my body because of my teenage angst and i think that happens a lot because like we just yeah when you're in the center and like you know we as white cis people are in the center of like a lot of cultural discourses because you know there are people of color there are <laughs> they're on the periphery when we are in the center there are trans people that are in the periphery when we are in the center and i think we all are guilty of just like listening to i don't know like a black woman's struggles you know and we're like yeah i've experienced the same you know what i mean because like yeah. it's just it's hard to you for you to understand just how far removed someone is when you're in the center and like where you can see everything and when you're in periphery you can see clearly just how far the center is and i think that like not me like praising riverdale but i think they read down that i think it was purposeful no i mean i every i think like like i championed the entire episode i think everything that riverdale does is purposeful but like yeah i think definitely think it's purposeful but it's still extremely funny. <laughs> yeah, no, like you know, you can you can make a very intelligent point and still be funny. Like, yeah, of course. One does I mean, yeah, of course. Exclude of course. the other. Of course. Also, I feel like this episode is going to be two hours long. Let me. Yep. <laughs> another one. Another. Also, one. we should we should decide uh, on the ending theme. I'd... 
I think maybe uh, 17, 17 for the ending because that's a perfect ending song. And then like okay. in the, in the um, like in between the official theme and our voices, I think it should be a little bit of Jughead singing Exquisite Corpse because... No, you. Um, there was this quote by Kevin that you wanted to use. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. The quote about... Uh, him directing the musical and like yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. oh that's, that's a great oh Riverdale is so quotable it's so, <laughs> I <love> it so much <laughs> but, yeah. but yeah so like if I ever have the mental energy to go through Riverdale again um you you might get a second Riverdale episode who don't knows? hold your breath though who knows <laughs> um but don't hold your breath um I'm excited to like introduce you to like my I guess shit TV of like the things that I watched when I was the target audience, which I think like it will be interesting to revisit those shows. So Pretty Little Liars, the original Gossip Girl. Do you want to watch the Vampire Diaries as well, or honestly, to, to be to be perfectly, I I'm not that interested in Vampire Diaries, but I'm def okay. I'm very much interested in Gossip Girl and Gilmore Girls. Okay, no, because like um. I mean, the Vampire Diaries were very fun, and they were also very campy. But like they were done like they pay a huge homage to Southern Gothic, which I think you might like, but Ooh. they're less silly. I mean, yeah. they're silly, but like in a different way, I guess. Yeah, maybe like super that that, that description gives me supernatural, and I do like supernatural. Yeah, it's so. supernatural, but like with actual female characters, they're well developed. <laughs> oh <laughs> boy, supernatural in this female characters <laughs> is a whole other topic. But yeah, like no, I I mean. I, I mean, you know, go, to go back to the start, quoting Justin Bieber, I will never say never to... Mm. <laughs> I'll never say never to vampire. I'll never say never to anything, but I'll never say never to vampire. I think, for I, now, I think... I'll stick with Gilmore Girls and Gossip Girl. I'm I'm all in for that, honestly. Yeah, yeah. And Pretty like... Little Liars. Yeah, yeah, I feel like the vampire diaries, we can actually watch the way I watch Riverdale. So, like, I'll Ooh, it's just a good choice. The, the funnest episodes and, like, give you all the, like... um context that you might need oh that's a great and... that's a great idea yeah yeah uh anyway this was shit talking um sorry this episode wasn't as funny as the previous ones but i think we've made some interesting points i think like like glee and like um a beautiful bastard were just debauchery and insanity <laughs> and i think we 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 actually made some rational decent points in this one so yay us clap to but us. worry not next episode is liam Payne album yeah and there's you can be sure the, no yeah, coherent thoughts there yeah there will be no th i mean come on like there will be no reclamation no like Liam Payne is actually good. No, there will be none of that. No, it's just no, going to no, be no. us trashing a piece of shit album by an artist that's extremely misguided, uh, but also extremely funny. Like, so, yeah. I feel like Liam Payne, in his mind of mind, he thinks he's Justin Timberlake from Sexy Bag. And he's like, you bet. the furthest, <laughs> the furthest away he could be from Justin, Justin Timberlake, Sexy Bag. That's a perfect comparison. He's like, like you know the meme like we want Justin Timberlake we have Justin Timberlake at home and Liam Payne <laughs> is Justin Timberlake at home. That's it. That's it. That's it. Uh, that's a future no, meme. I, that's a future meme for the Instagram. Uh, I will account. do it. I will do it. I will do it. And that one person that listened to the end of this episode will know 
this was birthed life here. <laughs> but yeah, no, I actually I like recently re listened to Sexy Back because like I had like I had like a craving for Timbaland produced music. Oh, Timbaland and, oh is amazing. God, he's amazing, and that album just top notch. It's amazing. Like so many like. I wish we had more Justin Timberlake, not necessarily in terms of personality, but like in terms of like actually doing shit. Like, of, uh, when it comes, it's like he's like the rare pops to bring it all like full circle to the beginning. Wow. Okay. Don't um, tell us we don't have structure. <laughs> like complete full circle. Like when when we mentioned like male pop stars, like they're too focused on like pretensions, pretentiousness as like an artist of like being something like and not caring as much about crafting like like this image and like and that's what we care that's what we want most male pop stars to do meanwhile justin timberlake as an image like as a like a pop culture icon doesn't really give you much like he's just a guy but his actual music is so good yeah, and he actually did, like, eras and stuff. Like, his first three albums are so distinct. Like, you have, like, a yeah, similar have... style. But, like, with each album, he kind of, like, experiments with different themes and different song structures. And, oh, like, yeah. you don't have to have personality. Just, like, actually care about the product that you produce. And even his, like, latest album, which is kind of, like... I didn't really like it as much. I think it's The Lack of Timbaland production like... uh, yeah i i actually I, that's one of my con like me and my friend logan we have this opinion that this yeah. out al- this album is good actually because mo- it's mostly just really funny that album is no, just like... extremely funny but also it has <laughs> no, some good songs on it <laughs> no like what i mean is that, like compared to sexy back i don't think it's as strong but like i do no, yeah, see yeah. like the artistic vision for it and the idea and like as you said there are good songs on it like i just don't like comparing to his earlier work i just don't think it's as strong and as coherent yeah but, like, i mean it still has artistic value it's not like yeah the the Sheeran albums of the recent years you know yeah, what i mean completely like this man had like the first album straight off of nsync like this man had like um the neptunes of uh, pharrell and chad hugo producing that almost that entire album and like how boundary pushing their production style is and they had like they had like at that point underground rappers like on like featured on it it was like and like the second album is like Timbaland and his like weird off kilter rhythms and like yeah and like it's just such Huber, interesting like, music was, yeah he was like one of the biggest pop stars and he mm-hmm. did like eight minute long songs on the oh band. yeah for sure yeah and like and he's just love like, sounds uh... feature yeah that yeah all that. Like, just do that. You don't have to be, like, Lady Gaga and, like, put on this, like, aesthetic each and every... I mean, you know you know what I mean. Like, to yeah, that extent, oh, yeah, yeah. like, with each and every album, you really don't have to do it. But, like, just, I don't know, care about the work that you put out instead of just being, like, oh... I, I think it's just ego. Honestly, like, with Shawn Mendes, I think it's just ego. Like, he him, him making music isn't like I want to make something that I'm proud of and can stand on its own. Him making music is just essentially mentally masturbating. <laughs> I'm such a songwriter, I'm so talented. Now we're gonna write a song about how vulnerable I am. Sean like... Mendes, Sean Mendes is a whole other topic. Like, Sean Mendes is just so funny to me for so many reasons. Like, I mean, like, I didn't mind him before. Like, I was like, you know, I was like really yeah. neutral about him. Like, I liked a few songs and like I didn't have an opinion. But then we watched the documentary. Oh, and just, like, that, I, like, that was before I we just... had the podcast, but like, that's a. <laughs> 
<laughs> I will never hilarious. rewatch it. I will never no, rewatch no, it. No, no. And I just after watching it, I just I, I despise the guy. I despise the guy so much. He's yeah, oh, he's so funny. Okay, but yeah, that's that's it. Our discussion on male pop stars, um, Hannon and Riverdale. That's it. What what that's a cohesive it. episode, actually. Don't expect that next week or ever again. No. This was a one-off. Um, but yes, thank you so much for listening. Stream sexy back. Um, and yeah, bye. Uh, Q in seventy. Bye. Okay. I can't promise no more heathers. High school may not ever end. Still, I miss you.